0: of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, thank you and welcome back. We skipped last week's show due to the 4th of July holiday, but we're back just in time to kick off earnings season. That usually starts with the banks announcing their earnings, and we'll get to those in just a couple of minutes, along with Pepsi, who reported their earnings this week. The thing everyone wants to talk about now are the tech stocks, just like Deja Vu a la 1999, if you remember that. These stocks have been working, and they're probably going to keep on working for a while. I had someone ask me about Amazon, a symbol AMZN, and they asked me, well, where do you buy it? I just kind of shrugged my shoulders. you know. Right after the holiday, July 6th, the first trading day back, Amazon traded above 3,000 for the first time. Or if you want to say it another way, it's up 65% for the year. And that's why people want to talk about it. I looked at it. And at the time, the company had 52 analysts who had buy ratings on it, four had holds, and there was one loan analyst who had a sell rating on it. We won't talk about them. When it hit 3,000, the average price target in all these buy ratings was 28.10, and only 10 of them were above the 3,000 mark. So they were well under where the stock was trading. Of course, that doesn't look so good when you're an analyst. So they all turned around and started raising their price targets. But even still, looking at it today, the mean target is at 29.15. And I tell you, it's tough being an analyst this, these days. It really is. Most companies aren't providing forward guidance because, well, they just don't know. Frankly, Amazon has never traded off its P-E ratio or price to sales or any of that. The name of the game was to spend money and build scale. Just build a huge business and then someday we can slow down our spending and it'll just explode cash. Basically, You just had to hold your nose and buy it, hope for the best. And when you do that, well, it puts it in the speculative category. And in Amazon's case, well, it's really paid off. And there's nothing wrong with having a few of these in your portfolio if you realize that's what it is, a speculative name. Undoubtedly, it's a great business that Jeff Bezos and his his team has built. I mean, it's phenomenal. This pandemic has shown you just what a great business it is. Retail is booming because you don't have to go out. You just get online and have it all delivered directly to your doorstep. Which web services, well, that's growing like a weed. So the question is, is what do you pay for it if you want to own it? Obviously, the analysts aren't going to be much help here and neither are the traditional valuation met- metrics. If I had to guess, if I was trying to get lucky, i say 2800 But again, that's just a guess. If you don't want to speculate, and I don't blame you if you don't, there are a few other tech names that are, well, rather cheaper. Cisco being one of them, symbol CSCO. It's not dirt, dirt cheap, but I'll tell you, pretty darn cheap. It's trading at about 14, 15 times this year's expected earnings and at about a 25% discount to the overall market. Keep in mind that the S and P 500 is heavily weighted towards those big tech names now, the ones that everyone's talking about: Amazon, Apple, Microsoft. You know them. When I say heavily weighted, I'm talking about 20 to 25 percent of the weighted S and P index is in those handful of names. Now, when you buy Cisco, you're buying it about. 14 times earnings, and you're getting a company that's growing in the mid to high single digits. That's okay, right? Nothing spectacular, but you're also getting a better than 3% dividend. So if you look at the total return, say a 7% grower and a 3% dividend added in, even I can do that math, it's a 10% total return. And that's assuming no change in the multiple or what people are willing to pay for a dollar of Cisco's earnings. If you dig a little deeper into the business, you'd find that they generate a ton of free cash flow or what I call owner's earnings. What are they doing with all this cash that they generate? Well, number one is they're paying that dividend, which I already mentioned, 3%. Two is that they're buying shares back. They're buying back shares more when I think the stock is cheap, which creates more value for the shareholders in the long run. If you're buying back shares when your stock is egregiously overvalued, then you're actually destroying shareholder value. You're paying $2 for something that's worth a dollar. Since 2015, the last five years, Cisco has used part of their free cash flow to repurchase about 17% of their outstanding stock. And they've also reduced their outstanding debt. Again, over the last five years or so, they have reduced that outstanding debt by almost 50%. And they still have an ample amount of cash on hand to handle whatever comes at them in the future. Cash on the balance sheet is standing at eh, about $6 per share. If they use some of that cash and paid off all their debt, well, then they'd still have about $4 a share. I'd argue that Cisco is actually cheaper than it might look at first glance, because when you buy a share, you know that $4 in is in cash. Take that out of the stock price, then they're actually trading at, at $42 and they're generating $360 in earnings. I know that can be confusing, but take the cash out, then you have the stock well, it's really trading about 11 or 12 times operating earnings. I think this is a solid long term holding. Yes, the near term is going to be challenging. It's challenging for a lot of businesses, but I think Cisco isn't going anywhere. It's not going to go away. Some of their customers are delaying purchases to preserve their cash, but the large companies, the large customers can only delay for so long, especially as bandwidth gets strained as more people work from home. Cisco is a conservative way to invest in the work from home environment. What else is work from home, stay at home? Was that done to us besides drive broadband usage higher? Well, for some of us, we started to exercise more. Others, well, maybe we've added a couple of pounds. In some case, we're exercising more because we're eating more. And that showed up in Pepsi's earnings, symbol PEP. Food and snacks, well, they stole the show here, folks. Pepsi reported uh, this week, they beat on both the top and bottom line. Um, they beat the expectations. Revenue declined when you first look at it. The decline of 3% looked a bit discouraging, but most of the top line drag was caused by currency headwinds in Latin America. Beverages were mostly flat, but Frito-Lay, they grew at 7%. And Quaker Foods, they grew at 23%. In my book, I call that outstanding. And that's also the reason why I have preferred Pepsi over Coke, because Pepsi has the snacks and the food. So it's a more diverse uh, revenue stream. Well, they have more diverse revenue streams. Now, there's nothing wrong with Coke. Symbol KO, I just like Pepsi. Again, this isn't a high flying grower by any means, but if they grow mid single digits and you get that 3% dividend, that's not a bad total return for a very predictable, high quality company. If you've listened to the show over the years, you know that I always say when you're looking at a stock, there are two big questions you need to ask yourself. One is, is this a high quality business? And number two, what price do I pay for it? I think the answer number one in Pepsi's case is, you know, is this a high quality business? I think it's a resounding yes. But what about the price? Well, it ain't cheap. That's for sure. But it's such a high quality business. As a matter of fact, it's what I consider a core holding. And if it's a core holding, I'm willing to buy a half position in it at almost any time. And that's because I plan on owning it for a very long period of time. And a few dollars really isn't going to make that much of a difference over a very long period of time. With that said, if I own some of it, I'd wait to add the other half. And let's talk about the banks. You know, those stocks that have been stinking up the joint for a while now. Start of earning seasons. Well, that kicks off with the banks announcing. And I don't know if investors are expecting a whole lot out of them everyone assumed earnings were going to be challenging because of the low interest rate environment and loan defaults were going to be higher because we have double digit unemployment and the banks were going to have to put more aside in reserve to cover those losses which of course hurt earnings i guess it's going to i'm guessing it's just going to be a mixed bag when it comes to the banks this quarter wells fargo symbol wfc they were one of the first ones to announce. And I guess the best way to describe it would be well, they ripped off the Band Aid. You no know, joy in Mudville or San Francisco, where Wells Fargo was headquartered. Wells Fargo, they set aside a bunch of money in reserves, almost doubling their reserves, and they cut the dividend by 80%. I think most bank investors were thinking, yeah, they'd cut it. Everyone knew they were going to cut it, they, they had to. Most people were expecting, well, they'd cut it by 50%, not 80%. Anyhow, ugly quarter for Wells Fargo. But all this pain now may mean gain in the future. Now, you you flip the quarter, flip the coin, and on the other side, which in this case would be JP Morgan, symbol JPM, they didn't look so bad. Yes, they built reserves and margins were low, but JP Morgan had it uh, has a decent sized capital markets business and that's what made this nickel shine trading which i saw was described as eye popping added substantially to the revenues as i said i think this is going to be a mixed bag for the banks but in general they look pretty cheap i don't expect them to do much for a while not until the bigger picture becomes clearer so if you have the time and the patience I'd look at some of these if you don't own them. I think you'll be rewarded over the long haul. Okay, let's leave it there for today. If you have any questions for the show, feel free to send them to podcast, which is plural, podcast at xmlfg. Or if you want to talk about your financial plan or portfolio, because we do manage money for a living. If you want to talk about your financial plan or portfolio, well, give us a call. The number is 301 770 Five two three four. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. This is Eric Whiteman, and this has been Common Sense Investing. listen to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no, you should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.